Newsable listeners, you're a bunch of beautiful road cone loving thieves. You're skellywags, is what you are. We got some skelliest of skellywags. Yes, and the waggiest of skellies, indeed. We got some great <laughs> yarns in about your road cone shenanigans, which we will reveal later on in the program. Um, but we're going to get cracking pretty rapidly today. So, Kilda, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. It's not news you'll want to hear, but you can catch the clap, gonorrhea, from kissing. So we'll tell you what you need to know. Also, there's a new social media in town, so will it flop or will it fill a void? Why guns could play a big part in this year's election. And plus, the guy who ate a piece of art because he was hungry. Seems like a very reasonable excuse to me. We've got all of that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Well, here's an interesting story. Experts are calling for New Zealand's official government health advice on gonorrhea to be updated. Why? Well, because it turns out it is not just a sexually transmitted disease. A new study has now officially confirmed you can catch gonorrhea, or the clap, from simply kissing someone. You can also get it from sharing a towel. And I'm really sorry to tell you this, you can also catch it from flies. Stuff journalist Anne-Marie Quilt has been looking into these developments and joins us now. Hello there. Hi. So tell us about the significance of this confirmation. It's been suspected for a while that gonorrhea isn't just an STD, but this has confirmed it. Is that pretty much the situation? That's right. So the research has been going on for a while in Melbourne about the way it can be transmitted, but um, this has now been confirmed through the research quite unequivocally that it can be transmitted through other methods than sex, not just kissing, but as New Zealand experts have pointed out through things like towels um, or flies. Like when they first started telling me about flies, I thought they meant flies on trousers because of what we were talking about. But no, like flies in Australia or New Zealand, when it's hot, fly into your eye and that's the way that it can be spread. And the same with towels in shared bathrooms, like any bacteria it can survive for a few hours in the right conditions. It's pretty significant because everyone, I think, just sees it as purely a sexual disease. And that's because that's what we've been told it is for the last 100 years. And so what is New Zealand's current health advice about gonorrhea? So current health advice on the Ministry of Health website is that it's just um, transmitted through sexual activity. I mean, I guess you could argue that kissing is a sexual activity, but there's no mention of kissing. It's just says that it is transmitted through sexual activity and that's it, and that you can protect yourself through a condom. Why is it important for our health advice to be updated in this in this area? so people can be aware. But, I mean, um, STIs like gonorrhea and syphilis, I mean, they have these names that, like, they seem like old and diseases, but they're actually on the rise in New Zealand. So it's definitely important so that people could be aware of how they're spread and that where necessarily that people can improve hygiene if, 
if that's an issue. People can have those conversations. But also I think it destigmatizes it because it makes it not like some STI that you can't talk about, like the whole word gonorrhea is is quite taboo. But if you think that it can be transmitted in the same way as conjunctivitis or any other bacteria, sharing towels, through eyes, through not washing hands, then I think that goes a long way to make it destigmatize. That stops it spreading and cases rising like they are currently. It's a really interesting story. Emery Quill, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate that. No worries. Thank you. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you know the answer to or that you'll have the answer I'm looking for. Yes. What doesn't the world desperately need right now? A new social media platform. Bingo. But guess what we're getting? A new social media platform. (laughs) Bingo again. Uh, So this new social media platform, it's called Blue Sky, and it's being funded by Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. It's in the launch stage at the moment. But is this the next big thing? Joining us now is unofficial newsable tech correspondent Alan Robbins from the tech policy think tank Brainbox. Hey, Alan, how are you going? I'm going very well, thanks. How are you? So good, thank you. And for Emile's uh, excitement, can you explain what Blue Sky is and how Jack Dorsey's involved? I would be delighted. Blue (laughs) Sky is a new social media platform. I know, Emile, you you thought we needed another one of those. That its pitch is basically. It's Twitter again, but with a twist. You do all the Twitter stuff that people love to do. You post tweets, except they're called skeets over there because it's it's blue sky instead of Twitter. You reply to people's skeets. You get in pointless arguments. But this time, it's not just a central social media platform. It is what they call a decentralized protocol. Right now, that makes no difference. But eventually, in the future, they promise you will be able to set up your own servers for people to post on. You'll be able to build your own apps on top of the framework that they have built with Blue Sky. But right now, it's basically just Twitter as it was in about 2012. Ellen, what, like, why is it interesting that this site has started up? You know, because it, it feels to me like we don't really get you know, big new social media site launches very often, but maybe that's because they're not getting launched by Jack Dorsey? I think yes and no. I think if Elon Musk had not bought Twitter and Blue Sky was being launched right now, it would be mostly ignored except for, you know, tech nerds like me who Mm. would go, oh, they've done some interesting stuff with the protocol. Right now, it's time has come because... While all the protocol stuff is in the future and all the things you may be able to do with it are speculative, right now what it is is something that's basically like Twitter but without Elon Musk. And that's something that a lot of people want right now. What's its um, colour scheme? Because Blue Sky indicates that it's blue, but of course that is the old Twitter colour scheme. It's kind of white and black and I I think a pale blue. Not the same as the, the Twitter shade of blue. It'll be very familiar to anybody who's used Twitter before. If you look deep within your heart of hearts, do you think this site is going to catch fire? Will it still be around in a year's time, do you think? I'm sure the site will be around in some form in a year's time. I mean, frankly, they've invested too much money in it to admit defeat uh, this year, at least. The big challenge that platforms have to deal with when they're growing is moderation. People are going to start posting some heinous stuff. They're going to start posting some illegal stuff. And Blue Sky, because it's you know, not had that many users because it's limited in its features. You know, you can't post videos on there. You can't DM people. They have not yet faced 
a lot of the challenges that other social media platforms have to. Their advantage is they're not going into this cold, you know? Mm. I mean, Jack Dorsey has already personally encountered all of them at least once when he ran Twitter. Alan Robbins from Brainbox, thanks very much for your time. It's great. My pleasure. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Time to talk road cone feedback. Yes, right. We got quite a lot of stuff in on this, didn't we? Um, Some brilliant yarns. Yes. Lou had a good one. Uh, I used a road cone to create a road cone hinaki, which is like a, um, a fishing trap to catch eels. That's very innovative, isn't it? That is some eight-wire thinking yeah, there. Love good. it. Uh, plenty of you saying uh, that you've done the old gag where you stick it at the top of a tree. Uh-huh. That's my personal favourite. That's my, as a viewer of, of road kind theft, yeah. I, I do love seeing one at the top of the tree. Um, we also got told about a story where in 2016 firefighters in Fairley had to use water blasters to shoot it off the top of a tree because that tree was 50 metres high. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want. How I mean, you really. Yeah, it's really. It's you know. There's um. You're not getting much value compared to the danger of climbing a 50 metre high tree to put a, a rope cone on top of it. But uh, you know, I appreciate the commitment. I liked this story. Um, made a two story beer bong out of a rope cone in the garden hose in my younger and more foolish days. It got cleaned less than you'd hope and used more than you'd think, which <clears throat> worries me because <clears throat> a rope cone could carry a lot of uh, liquid in it. I wonder how a two-story works yeah. because you stack road cones, sure, but then you all of a sudden need to get the engineering plans on that yeah, one. Yeah, is it like? Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested if you've got the photo of a of a two-story beer bong. Send it through. But my favourite one is probably um, a poem that our friend Andrew uh, wrote for a 1999 edition of the School Journal. Emma, would you like to do the honours there? The orange road cones are the hats of the witches who live in the gutters, the grates and the ditches. They come out in dozens whenever it rains to dance orange dances in water-filled trains. <sighs> Literature on Newsable. Well, we've not had much politics chat lately, but there are some interesting moves happening at the moment in the world of guns. New Zealand made some pretty dramatic changes to its firearm laws in the aftermath of the March 15 terror attacks. Many of those were opposed by the ACT Party in particular. And over the weekend, National also came out with a revamped firearms policy aimed at cutting a bit of red tape and bringing gun owners into the decision-making tent when it comes to gun policy. So why is this issue gaining traction now, Staff Senior Political Reporter Thomas Manch has a piece about that very topic on the Post website right now, but he's also here to explain it to us. First off, I always thought gun owners would be a pretty marginal slice of the electorate, but are there actually quite a few gun owners? Uh, there are actually 240,000 um, almost quarter of a million licensed firearm owners in the country who have sort of different different types of licenses. And when you think about it, you know, it's a portion of uh, 
the you know the voting public that's also heavily tied to sort of the rural community i think as well looking at that firearms community what would you say they are unhappy about broadly like what movement is being pushed for in this wider space the way i often think about the firearms community is there's the broad 240,000 that includes everyone from your sports shooters to your um, your, your farmers who have a shotgun, you know, or something to, to take out rabbits on their property. For their portion of the um, group, which could well be something of a minority, they are annoyed about bureaucracy, about overreach in, in, in sort of new administrative processes that they're having to comply to. And um, increased fees is a, is a big problem. And also just a general distrust, a lot of distrust about how the police might administer this incoming firearm system that they're having to deal with. So there's a feeling that that our firearms policies, understandably, of course, and for good reason, moved a bit too far, too fast after March 15. Certainly. I mean, few people were wanting to relitigate the sort of the ban of most semi-automatics in the country. You know, that's kind of done and dusted. It's mm. it's the new it's the new sort of aspects um, that have been long discussed, like a firearms registry, compliance costs, um, issues around how firearms clubs can run and how much police scrutiny they are required to sort of to operate. Thomas, why now? For the National Party, I think it should be pretty obvious to them that ACT has has sort of cultivated this community for a long time, and there's a clear disaffection. It's a clear opportunity for them to sort of differentiate themselves from the government and say, look, we're, we're in your corner. And it also helps flesh out their sort of their their advocacy for the rural communities around the country as well. You know, so I think given that you know, 2020 at the last election was pr- still pretty proximate to 2019, it was still wasn't clear which way the government would go with firearms policy. It probably wasn't a good moment for National to say, hey, look, we would do this differently. Now enough time has passed that they can differentiate themselves and look to claim some of that vote. Thomas Minch, thank you very much for your time today. And you can read more about that story on The Post website. That is thepost.co.nz. We've spoken many times in the past about our love for a good headline, haven't we, Imogen? Oh, gosh, love a good headline. And yet another humdinger has crossed the desk today. Student eats $120,000 banana that was part of an art installation. <laughs> and that 120000 was US, so that's, that's probably like, like 200000 New Zealand dollars. A million dollars. New Zealand dollars. One million trillion dollars. Uh, a few details for you. We're not just going to give you the headlines. So no, we're not about that. An art student was visiting the art gallery. This was a banana that was duct taped to a wall as part of the installation. Uh, he ate said banana because he was had a bit of a rumbling tum. Uh, then he reattached the banana skin to the wall with the, with the same tape. Yeah, it's quite lovely really. He is claiming that his art of eating the banana, which itself is supposedly a, a work of art, that the act of eating the banana is also art. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It does feel like a bit of a bit. It feels like a stretch, doesn't it? When you you watch the video, it's a a bit, you know. Yeah. 
It's a funny ha-ha from this guy for sure. Although the idea that a famous artist taping a banana to a wall and saying that's worth 200000 New Zealand dollars, that kind of feels like a bit of a bit as well, doesn't it? 100%. Also, these bananas in question, this banana actually is is not the same banana. It's it not gets the same replaced banana. every few days. So what happens to the banana that gets taken off the wall? Does it retain its 200000 New Zealand dollar status or does it go back to your 95 cents per banana? Well, I think that um, previous iterations of the banana have actually sold for $120,000. What? In one case in 2019, uh, another artist paid that for the banana and then also ate the banana uh, and proclaimed that consumption to be a work of art in itself as well. So, um, look, what is art? Art is dead. This is just ridiculous. It's completely taking the piss. What would you do with the banana once you'd paid $120,000 for it? Would you make banana bread? Well, he ate it. He ate it, this guy. Yeah, but like, if, like what I'm asking you, asking what me. would you do? Um, would you let it rot? I mean, I will probably deep fry it, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I feel like make that's the most elegant fritters. way to, to eat a $120,000 banana. Um, and that would definitely then be the most expensive thing I'd ever consumed. As a matter of fact, I'm curious about this. What's the most expensive thing you have ever eaten? Imogen, do you have a good answer to that? Uh, not singular item. Probably, actually, no, I do. Any singular food item that I've ever bought in an airport uh-huh. would yes. definitely be the most expensive <laughs> snack I've ever eaten. Well, I, uh, I would be interested to hear stories here about outrageous sums of money spent on items that were then eaten and digested, and we don't need any more details other than that. So please do send us your answers to that. What is the most expensive thing you've ever seen? Uh, you can email us, newsworkstuff.co.nz, or you can get in touch on the Insta or the TikTok channels. Just search up NZ. But that is the show for today. I'm Emil Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells. Remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and across all your social channels. Like Emil said, we're just at Newsable NZ. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.